I invite you to turn over to, to page 3 in your bulletin or Numbers 12 in your Bible. We're continuing our study of this Old Testament book of Scripture. We actually entered into a new section of the book last week. Uh, this somewhat, somewhat downturn uh, as we get in a series of episodes where God's people... Uh, are, are turning away from the Lord and grumbling and rejecting him and his, and his work. Last week it was grumbling about the food in the wilderness. This week it's grumbling about their leader in the wilderness, uh, Moses. And let's, let's read God's word together and, and see how uh, God means this for our instruction, just as the Apostle Paul told us in 1 Corinthians 10. Let's read God's word, uh, Numbers chapter 12. <clears throat> Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman whom he had married, for he had married a Cushite woman. And they said, Has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not uh, spoken through us also? And the Lord heard it. Now, the man Moses was very meek, more than all people who were on the face of the earth. And suddenly the Lord Cain said to Moses and to Aaron and Miriam, Come out, you three, to the tent of meeting. And the Lord and the three of them came out, and the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud and stood at the entrance of the tent of meeting of the tent, and called Aaron and Miriam, and they both came forward. And he said, Hear my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him I speak mouth to mouth, clearly, and not in riddles. And he beholds the form of the Lord. Then, why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? And the anger of the Lord was kindled against them, and he departed. When the cloud was removed from over the tent, behold, Miriam was leprous, like snow. And Aaron turned toward Miriam, and behold, she was leprous. And Aaron said to Moses, Oh, my Lord, do not punish us, because we have done foolishly and have sinned. Uh, let her not be as one dead, whose flesh is half eaten away when he comes out of his mother's womb. And Moses cried to the Lord, Oh, God, Please heal her, please. But the Lord said to Moses, If her father had spit in her face, should she not be shamed seven days? Let her be shut outside the camp seven days, and after that she may be brought in again. So Miriam, Miriam was shut outside the camp seven days, and the people did not set out on the march till Miriam was brought in again. After that, the people set out from Hazaroth and camped in the wilderness of Paran. May God bless his word. Let's pray together. Father, we do pray that you would use your word, just as you promised to do, uh, to strengthen, to instruct, to build up, to, to glorify your name. Lord, do it this morning as, uh, as we've heard it read, and now it's proclaimed to us. Lord, we ask it uh, all in the name of Jesus and for his glory. So what were you tempted to complain about this week? What were you tempted to complain about? Come on, 
Certainly, after, after a study last week of the Israelites grumbling in the wilderness, certainly at some point you caught yourself the grumbles beginning to bubble up. Can you remember what it was? Remember what circumstance frustrated and there, there were those grumbles coming out? Uh, maybe, maybe God even reminded you of the Israelites in the wilderness. Uh, maybe he even, he even reminded you of how those Israelites looked at their circumstances and they, they conveniently filtered things out, filtering out God's blessings and God's work and his presence. Maybe you even saw yourself doing some of that filtering out, you know, seeing the, the hard things but filtering out God's presence and his care. Uh, where did you catch yourself grumbling? Remember the Apostle Paul said, 1 Corinthians 10, that these very things in Numbers were written down for our instruction. They were for us. Uh, and here we have another episode of, of grumbling. Uh, apparently, we need to hear this again. Uh, although, actually, we, we get some of the same themes, but it's slightly different. There's, there's, a, there's a, a different focus. Last week, the grumbling was all centered on outward circumstances. Uh, this week, the grumbling is focused on people. Right? That's, sometimes we grumble about, about uh, circumstances, sometimes we grumble about people. Well, that's what we get this week. It's all focusing in on Moses and his person and his role. And I think as we work our way through, we'll see that this is actually great preparation for the Lord's Supper. Uh, because as God uses the opportunity to, to highlight the uniqueness of Moses, uh, we see that we actually get a, a powerful picture of the one who is greater than Moses, uh, and our eyes are fixed upon him. So we'll see our need uh, of that one greater, and exactly God's provision. The very same good news we get in the Lord's Supper. But first we gotta, we got to start with our need, and we, we re revisit this subject of grumbling. Uh, this time it's not, the, it's not the people as a whole, but two individuals, Miriam and Aaron. Uh, they, that's Moses's brother and sister, sister and brother. It's a very close family. Uh, you, can, you can make the connection, isn't it true, that often the people we grumble about the most are those who are closest to us, uh, even, even our own family members. Uh, often the, our worst complaints are saved for them, uh, sadly. Uh, so true to life, uh, two different complaints they have against Moses. Uh, first, a uh, complaint about Moses for marrying this Cushite woman. And secondly, grumbling about his unique status as leader uh, in Israel. And they seem to highlight two different aspects of, of what we all are tempted to in, in the midst of grumbling about people. Uh, first, uh, that grumbling about people is often driven by an ugly, critical spirit. Uh, so we're told that Miriam and Aaron, verse 1, publicly speak against Moses. And their public complaint that they're airing uh, is he's married this woman, this Cushite woman. Uh, now, um, we read about Moses getting married all the way back in Exodus 2. Uh, at the, before he gets to the burning bush, you might remember he's shepherding sheep in, in Midian, and he marries a Midianite woman by the name of Zipporah. Uh, and occasionally, uh, the term Cushite uh, refers to people even as broad geographically as, as from Midian. So it could be that Numbers 12 is referring back to Zipporah, and that's who's being referred to here, maybe. Uh, 
Um, probably a little more likely is this is a second marriage for, uh, for Moses. It's been quite a long while since then. Uh, and, uh, and this refers to someone more narrowly from the region of Cush. Cush was a region of the ancient world. It's modern-day kind of South uh, Egypt, uh, northern Sudan. Uh, and, and apparently Moses has, uh, has married someone from that area. Uh, and here's Miriam and Aaron, verse 1. Uh, they're speaking against Moses because look who he married. Now what's, what's driving their complaint? It's hard to know for sure. Uh, could it be that there's an element of just ugly prejudice here? Um, that's, that's, that's not a, a modern phenomenon. It's, it's ancient as, as, as sin itself. Uh, certainly, as a as a Cushite woman, she was a foreigner, uh, which means uh, her her accent would have been different. Uh, as a, someone from Cush, uh, her her skin color would have probably been significantly darker than than Hebrews. Uh, so is that part of it? She looks different. She talks different. And it's just ugly prejudice that's creeping creeping in. Uh, could be, could be. Uh, did they put it in religious garb? Uh, and so it's it's. Well, if Moses really was the holy guy he says he is, wouldn't he have married someone from God's own people? Instead, he had to go and get a foreign wife. He's not as holy as he, he claims to be. Uh, that could be it, too. Although we should, uh, we should realize that Moses isn't doing anything, hasn't done anything wrong biblically. Uh, God doesn't forbid the marrying of, of someone from Cush. Later on in Scripture, we do read that it's forbidden to marry a Canaanite, uh, someone from the land. Uh, but we do get these, these uh, instances of where you have, you have women, foreign women who are brought into Israel, committing themselves to Israel and Israel's God, and, and they're great heroes of the faith. Think of, of Rahab or Ruth. Uh, and so Moses isn't doing anything wrong, unbiblical, uh, by marrying a Cushite woman who apparently has been brought into Israel. She should have been uh, welcomed in, in that sense, but apparently, uh, for whatever reason, whether it's ugly prejudice or, or some kind of religious criticism, uh, Miriam and Aaron go on the attack. Uh, not just internally, but they're, they're making it known uh, that, that Moses isn't, uh, isn't nearly uh, the guy he claims to be. Uh, Ugly, ugly critical spirit, right? Not just, not just back then. We're tempted to the to the same kinds of things, aren't we? Uh, whether it's whether it's ugly prejudice or or whether it's just just nitpicking someone or attacking someone uh, legalistically, right? If they were really as great as they say they are, uh, then they wouldn't do X, Y, or Z and making up new rules uh, along the way that God hasn't even uh, given, but, but we we're, we're, can be so quick uh, to, to criticize and attack and try to tear other people down in order to feel a little bit better about ourselves. And, and that's part of what, what drives grumbling against people, uh, is this, this critical, attacking spirit. Is there, is there someone you're tempted uh, to, to be critical of? Right, for, Mo, for Aaron and, and uh, Miriam, it was Moses. Right? Who's, who's on your list? Uh, this is, this is a, a temptation for us, too. Uh, but that's just the first of the two uh, attacks on Moses. And probably the first one is more of a smokescreen. 
uh, because, because God doesn't even talk about this first one, which kind of gives us the idea that the second one is the real, is the real substantial one uh, in their hearts. The other one, just a, something of a smokescreen, perhaps. Here seems to be the, the real big one, Moses and his unique role in Israel. Or we could broaden it out and say, often grumbling against people is driven by the ugly spirit of envy. The ugly spirit of envy. Uh, can, you, can you hear it in verse 2? And they said, Has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? All right, so, so Miriam and Aaron, uh, they, they do have these prominent roles in, in Israel. Uh, Exodus 15 calls Miriam a prophetess. Uh, Aaron is the high priest, so very prominent roles. Even, even roles where, where there is revelation given, uh, messages from God uh, through them, uh, through, their, through their words and through their work. And so, yes, God does indeed speak uh, through them prophetically. And so great, significant roles that Miriam and Aaron have. Uh, but as, a, as opposed to kind of taking that from the Lord, what they do is they use it as an opportunity to, uh, to criticize Moses. Hey, we're as good as he is. Uh, why does this guy get to be the, the leader? Why is he as in charge? We're as good as him. Uh, we're as good as him. Uh, they're, they're grumbling, uh, driven by their envy, right? Not, not content with the roles God gave them. Instead, they want what, what Moses had. Uh, and they, it comes out in this grumbling attack. Um, it's actually quite ironic. Uh, if you remember last week, you remember what Moses was saying last week about his role in Israel? Uh, he was actually complaining about being the leader. Remember, he goes before God and essentially says, you got to get rid of this burden of leadership for me, or, or otherwise take my life. You, you see the, the irony there? Uh, Miriam and Aaron are envying the very thing that Moses wants to get rid of. Right? They're envying the very thing that Moses is complaining about, which, which often happens with us. Not all the time, but very frequently, the thing we look at in someone else, and, and we envy, and we, we want, I want that, for me, uh, is actually the very thing that that person is, might be complaining about at the very same time. Uh, one one uh, pastor gave a couple of, uh, of just everyday life examples, and you could see how this might, uh, might fit, might come into play. Think of the, uh, think of work context. So there you have the individual who's who's in a, a service profession, a service-oriented people profession, and, you know, beginning to just burn out, and, and, and it comes out in, in grumbling, oh, you know, if I only was like that, uh, like that tradesman, if only I could just go to work eight hours, punch the clock, work with my hands, and then be done, leave it behind, don't have to worry about people or politics, oh, that, if only I could be like that, how that guy has it good. And then, of course, you could see how the, uh, the blue-collar tradesman could, at the very same time, uh, maybe start to get feel that his job is monotonous or not challenging enough or, or uh, and, and looks with envy at the, uh, at the service professional, right? So the very same thing that one's complaining about uh, is, the, is the thing that the other uh, is, is envying as well. Uh, or sometimes this happens in the midst of family life. Right, the, the the married individual uh, looks at the looks at the single person and envies uh, the freedom that they have. 
uh, and at the very same time, the, the single person tempted to, to envy the, the married person's connection and, uh, and marriage. Um, not all the time, but frequently this is the case. The very thing that we, that we envy in someone else uh, is the very thing they're tempted uh, to want to get rid of. Uh, and that, that's actually a, a pretty important check uh, to us in the midst of our, in the midst of our envy. Um, because not that there's anything with, with looking at, at seeing something good, right? Nothing wrong with being married or being single or having one job versus another. Uh, there's an art wrong in themselves. But here the, the check of that kind of uh, ironic envy uh, is that we tend to assume that if God would just give me what that person has, then I'd be content. They just, if I just had that, Lord, take it from them, give it to me, then, then everything would be fine. I'd be content. And so this, this, this idea uh, of the other person uh, complaining about the very thing we're envying reminds us that, no, even if God gave it to you, uh, apart from his work in your heart, uh, that wouldn't solve the contentment problem. Uh, and, that's, and that's all of us. And it starts to get to this deeper root, right? The issue isn't uh, circumstances uh, or, the, or the people who embody them. Uh, it's, really, it's really the depth of the heart. Uh, it's really uh, a rejection of God. And that's, that's why, uh, why God comes to Miriam and, and to Aaron. Uh, they're, they're despising the roles that God gave them. Uh, they're, they're attacking the plan that God had for, for Moses at the... At the core of it, uh, their, their envy, their grumbling, their attacking, at the core of it is them saying, God, you really messed this up completely. God, you're, you're really bad at this God thing. Uh, if, if, if you just did it my way, then everything would be much, much better. All right? And it's a, it's a, their grumbling, their envy is, is a form of, of rejection of God uh, and his, his sovereignty and his, and his goodness. Uh, it's not wrong to have ambition. It's not wrong to dream big dreams and to go after it. Uh, but but there, there comes those times and those seasons where it's very clear uh, that, that here's where God has us for a time or for a season. And, and, to, and to begin to envy someone else and want to grab it for, from them for you, uh, that what's, what's bubbling up in your, in your heart, what you're wrestling with in your heart at that point is, God, I'm not so sure you're doing very well at this. Uh, I'm not so sure uh, you really know what you're doing. Uh, I could do better. Right? That's the, that's the heart of grumbling. Uh, can, can, you see, can you see our need? Can you raise your hand and say, oh, yeah, that's, that's, my, that's my struggle. And you can see how then it, how God responds. Uh, God, which is the third point under their grumbling revisited is, is this grumbling is condemned by the Lord. Uh, verse uh, 2 starts the God's response, and it kind of kind of builds this sense of foreboding. Uh, it, it's almost, it almost has this flavor of, of, of kids being called to the principal's office. Uh, right? Verse 2, they grumble, the Lord heard it, and then 4 and 5, the Lord comes to the tent of meeting, the tabernacle there, the glory of God descends, and right, you three, come here, uh, report, and, and there they are, right? You thought reporting to the principal's office was scary. Uh, how about showing up at the tent of meeting when God descends and he's just heard? Uh, and, and sure enough, there's, there's this, this joking aside judgment that comes. Verse 10. 
Miriam is, is struck with, with leprosy. Uh, she's, she's made ceremonially unclean and given this, uh, this disease. It turns her, uh, her skin this kind of scaly white. Uh, it's described as, as kind of the death-like decay of a, of a stillborn child. Um, so Miriam's struck with, with leprosy. Aaron is forced to, to beg Moses for, for help in the midst of it. Uh, Miriam has to spend seven days outside the camp, uh, verse uh, verse fifteen, and and so you see God's God's judgment. Uh, there 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 very well might be here a little bit of what we saw last week of of, of God's punishment fitting the crime. Uh, it's hard to know for sure, but there there's some elements of that here. Uh, here's here's Miriam uh, complaining about Moses's wife. Uh, and we said, we don't know for sure, but it could be that part of the complaint is you married this dark-skinned woman, and sure enough, what's the punishment? Miriam ends up with whiter skin as judgment. Uh, maybe now that's part of it. Uh, this other part of their complaint is Moses and Aaron want to lead. Uh, so what ends up happening, they do end up leading Israel. Israel goes nowhere because they're all waiting for Miriam. right? She's, she's kind of a sense leading the people, but it's a leading in in shame and in, and in being kept outside the camp. Or here's, Mo, here's Aaron, he's grumbling against Moses having this great role. And what is he forced to do? But beg Moses uh, for help. Uh, it's, it's a little bit of punishment fitting the crime. Uh, but, but, but at the, the heart of it, we start to see that, that yeah, God really does care. If our, if our grumbling and our envy is really an attack against him, uh, then, then, then there is the, the wages of sin. Now, even that picture of leprosy, remember in the old covenant world, forms this picture of, of death-like decay. And that's what we deserve for, for our sin. The wages of sin is death. We deserve death. Or, or, Mo, or Miriam being put outside the camp, uh, forced to, to bear uh, that outside the, the people, bear the, the, the separation, the, the shame of, of that, uh, that that's, what, that's what we deserve, to be cast out from, uh, from God's people, from God's presence because of our sin. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a powerful, powerful judgment. You might, you might then ask, we should ask ourselves, would we, would we stand any better? Would we do any better? If, if, God, if God called you to the principal's office, God called you into his presence. And, 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 and he heard the grumbling of, of your heart, my heart. Uh, would, would we be any less guilty? Would we deserve uh, God's, uh, God's uh, grace? Would we deserve it? Or, or like Miriam and Aaron, uh, judgment? Well, what God, God does here is he, is he shows us right in the midst of this, uh, he shows us Moses. He takes the opportunity to highlight the uniqueness of Moses. And the New Testament comes in and says, yeah, where that's going is Jesus. Where this is going is our real hope in the midst of our grumbling. So let's see if we can, we can take the journey along with Scripture. So the next, uh, the next big section, the rest of it really, is highlighting the uniqueness of Moses. Uh, right here he is, verse 3. Moses uh, was very meek, more than all people who were on the face of the earth. Moses, more meek, humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. More humble in the sense of depending on God, 
Uh, that's, that's really the heart of humility. Uh, Psalm 34 puts it this way. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Right? Uh, it actually comes out in our passage. As Moses, as Moses doesn't boast in himself, but he, but he boasts in the Lord. He trusts in the Lord. So here he is. He's attacked uh, his role, his life. And Moses doesn't attack right back. Uh, instead, he trusts that the Lord hears and the Lord uh, will vindicate him. And sure enough, God, God does vindicate him. Just as Psalm 147 promises, the Lord lifts up the humble. So sure enough, Moses is vindicated, uh, but yet he trusts in the Lord, not, not attacking back himself, but God vindicates him. He's called, verse 7, my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. Uh, you get the picture there. It's picturing God's people as a, uh, as a household. And, and Moses is the servant in charge of the household. It's like, a, like an ancient steward. Now, this, this is how it would work in the ancient world. You often had one servant who was kind of elevated and had this position of being in charge of the household, managing all the affairs uh, of the house, not for his own sake, but for the, for the sake of the head of the household, for the sake of the master. This servant would, would manage and care uh, for, for the house. And here God's saying, yeah, that's Moses. Uh, I, he's a servant, but he's, he's a servant over my house, and he's doing a great job. He's faithful, God says. Now, part of his role as, as servant over the house is, is to be a prophet. And here God says he's a prophet like no other prophet. Oh, yeah, there are other prophets like Miriam, uh, for example. But God says, verse 6, well, to them, those other prophets, uh, I reveal myself in visions and dreams. He says, but not with Moses. Moses is unique. Uh, when, when, when I speak through him, it's, it's mouth to mouth, right? There, verse 8, clearly, mouth to mouth, clearly, not in riddles. And he beholds the form of the Lord. So when God reveals himself to Moses, it's not in dreams or riddles. It's God speaking directly to him. Remember how this, how this takes place even, even there in the wilderness as, God, as Moses goes up on Mount Sinai and God meets with him, gives him uh, the, the law, God's word. I even remember that time when Moses gets to behold the glory of God. But a part of it, uh, right, God's glory passes by, and, and Moses gets, gets a little peek at the, 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 the back of God's glory. Right, He beholds the, the form of God. Right, not physical form, but the sense of God's glory presence. Moses gets to see it like no one else does. Moses having this, this very unique status, and Miriam and Aaron should have known it, and verse 8, God says, Why then weren't you afraid to speak against him? You, you should have known this. You did know this. And you should have, you should have trembled uh, to go against my servant. Moses, of course, proves his unique role uh, by, by interceding uh, for, for the people. Moses cries out uh, for them and cries for mercy. He prays, he prays for the very people who have just attacked him. He prays for their forgiveness. Uh, and, and sure enough, there is. God answers. that They are. Uh, Miriam is cleansed and restored. Though there is this, there is this uh, time where Mir Miriam is put outside the camp, as you would for a leper, put outside the camp. She's got to be out there seven days, kind of bearing, bearing that, the shame that goes with that. Um, you might ask the question, how come Aaron wasn't made leprous and he was put outside the camp? How come just Miriam? Answer, I don't really know. But here's a question that we probably should focus on, 
that we do know the answer to, which is, as we take in the uniqueness of Moses, could there be one even greater than he? Could there be one greater than Moses who could intercede for us in an even more powerful way? And that's exactly where the scripture goes. Uh, it's exactly what we have in the Lord Jesus. And there's our hope. There's our, there's our salvation. You could actually, as you think about Jesus, you could actually go through Numbers 12 and say, wow, look, there's Jesus better than Moses. So starting off at the top of Numbers 12, Moses was right, the most meek, the most humble. Well, at the time, the most uh, humble on the earth. But in the fullness of time came one who humbled himself to even the lower place. Right? Jesus, the, uh, the, the Son of God himself, uh, bowing down, coming in the, in the form of a servant, right? taking on human flesh, taking the form of a servant, is it, any, is it any wonder that Jesus himself says that he's, he's meek and lowly, humble, meek? Uh, same word, Numbers 12 word. Uh, he doesn't just say it, he does it, right? Coming to the lowest place, uh, just like Moses, Jesus is attacked, isn't he? His person, his holiness, his commitment to God, his role, Jesus is attacked by those who are closest to him, by those who should have known better, who should have trembled in fear. Jesus is attacked. And just like Moses, Jesus doesn't attack in return, right? Humbly, he trusts the Father to vindicate him. Here's how, here's how 2 Peter puts it, or 1 Peter. You can almost hear Numbers 12 here, um, where Peter says of Jesus, When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. That's what we see here uh, in Jesus. It's, it's what we see here at the Lord's table. Don't we see as we come and, and the, the elements, uh, the pictures of Jesus show him in his humiliation, his humility to the lowest place. Uh, as he comes, the form of a servant, even, even death on a cross. Uh, that's what we take in uh, and, and, and wrestle with and think about and, and powerfully get reminded of in, in the Lord's Supper. Uh, a, a prophet greater than Moses. Yeah, that's Jesus too, right? Uh, Jesus doesn't just speak God's word. Jesus is the word. Remember, that's how John introduces him. Jesus is the, the word. And, and like Moses, uh, his, his prophetic role flows out of his intimate relationship with God. Only, only for Jesus, it's not, it's not just a temporary on a mountain thing. But what are we told? But in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. Uh, the Son having this unique relationship with the Father. We read about that in Matthew 11, right? Uh, no one knows the Son except the Father. No one knows the Father except the Son. This intimate relationship. Yeah, that's why uh, Jesus can be the Word and speak forth the truth uh, of God. That's why Hebrews 3 uh, refers back to Numbers 12. Maybe you caught that in our Hebrews reading this morning. It kind of it quotes, uh, alludes to the Numbers 12, Moses faithful over God's house, uh, and then says, yeah, but Jesus was better. Jesus was greater because he was faithful, not as a servant, but faithful as a son. Right? Also caring for God's house, caring for God's people, but this time not as a, not as a servant, but as, uh, as the glorious son. Uh, that's Jesus. 
But let's 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 focus in uh, on the, on the element of Numbers twelve, the the intercession. Right, that this is a great place to really connect ourselves to the Lord's Supper. Right, Moses uniquely able uh, to pray for Miriam and Aaron. Lord, forgive them. Lord, have mercy. And God answers. Can you see how Jesus does that, but so much better, so much greater? Uh, Jesus, well, that's the heart of what the cross is, isn't it? It's Jesus, well, he says it with his words, Father, forgive them. But with his very actions, he, he, he intercedes for us. He wins our forgiveness. And you even, even get a, a sense of how he does it as we, as we take in the elements by going to the cross. Uh, he, he intercedes for us. He wins our, our cleansing and our forgiveness uh, by, by, by going to the cross, uh, by physically dying. Can you see how, how it's greater than Moses? We saw in Numbers 12, what, okay, God answers Moses, uh, but, but Miriam's still, she, she's still leprous. She has to go outside the camp, and she has to bear that shame. And, and uh, Well, think of Jesus. How, how, does, how does Jesus forgive us? He takes all the curse, all the shame, on himself. Right? Uh, even, even physically, his, his skin being, being marred. All right? not, not us bearing a little bit of the curse. Jesus takes all of it at the cross. Uh, he's made unclean, bearing our sin. Uh, he's, he takes the, the curse. He bears the shame. Hebrews even makes the point about where Jesus was crucified, that it was outside the city walls, outside the camp. Uh, so, so it's not like Miriam where, where okay, you're forgiven, but you've got to go outside the camp for seven days. Jesus comes to forgive us, to minister to us, and he takes all the curse, all the shame. He goes outside the camp. Uh, cast from the presence of God and suffers for us. So that for us, there's, there's, no, there's no guilt left. There's no shame left. There's just cleansing. There's just forgiveness. There's just welcome. That's how Jesus is greater uh, than Moses. It's, it's for us. Can you, can you make it personal? Well, if you don't know Jesus, this is, this is the one you need uh, interceding for you. This is why you've got to trust in Jesus and him alone. Because there's nowhere else where you'll get one uh, to bear your burden, bear your curse. But if you do know Christ, then you can you can make this really personal, even even at the Lord's Supper, right? We talked about we talked about being called to the principal's office, uh, right? God kind of calling calling His people forward. Okay, in, in many ways, you could think of coming to the Lord's table. God's God's calling you to Himself, and okay. What if, what if I'm being called to the principal's office? What am I going to get from, from Jesus? And notice what we get. It's not, okay, you got to go outside the camp. You believer, you believer for seven days. you got to bear some of it yourself. No, what you get as you're, as you're called forward into God's presence is you actually get the emblems of Jesus took all the curse for you. All of it. None's left. The only thing you get from, from God, therefore, is, is blessing. He doesn't call you forward to cast you out. In fact, he calls you forward to, to welcome you. He says, he says come. Right? To hear the words of Jesus. In many ways, the words of Jesus are the, the message of the Lord's Supper to his people. Jesus says, come. All you who are weary and heavy laden, uh, I will give you rest. 
Right? Because Jesus is the meek one, because he bore the curse, because he went outside the camp for us, Jesus just says, come, I'll give you rest. That's good news. And that's what God says to his people even this morning. So let's pray together. Father, we, we do see, even, even in, in a small bits, our, our, our guilt, how we have not uh, obeyed your law or trusted in you. Lord, we thank you that you've given such a mighty Savior. Lord, we pray that we would, even as we come to the supper, have a greater sense of his work for us, bearing our guilt and our shame, and, and, and having finished it, calling us now to, to rest and welcome. And, uh, Father, we pray, encourage your people, even here this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.